Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on Full Comment. Is Justin Trudeau going to be Prime Minister of Canada forever? How's that to get you all fired up? And we've got a great conversation about elections lined up with Jenny Byrne joining us, who was Deputy National Campaign Manager and later Main Campaign Manager for the Conservatives under Stephen Harper, talking all about this issue. Now, all signs right now point to an imminent federal election in Canada. A new Governor General has been appointed. The pork barrel spending is happening from coast to coast. And the nasty partisan shenanigans are ramping up. And all signs point to a strong Justin Trudeau liberal victory. Or do they? What's going to happen? And what does it mean for the future of our nation? What do past elections have to tell us about what's about to unfold? Jenny Byrne joining us now, CEO of Jenny Byrne and Associates, the perfect person to break all of this down for us. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for, for stopping by. It's great to chat with you about all of this because there's, you know, there's so much election speculation going on. And that is just a kind of like a classic thing in the Canadian uh, political chatter sphere. Will there be an election whenever you're in uh, minority government status? But right now it seems like the, uh, the chatter is more justified uh, than, than at sometimes. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear the Liberals, uh, the Liberals plan on uh, calling the election sometime in early to mid uh, to mid August. They're not even disputing it. If you if you see uh, reporters that have asked questions to uh, ministers or to the prime minister, uh, they're not even saying you know we're not having an election. They 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 fully go into talking about what a potential election could be about the ballot question. The uh, talking about kind of the recovery after uh, after COVID. And so I think that uh, it's safe to say uh, that we're heading into a campaign right now. I think the conventional wisdom that I have heard uh, from many people is that an August 15 uh, writ drop for a September 20th uh, election uh, E-Day. Okay, and, and what are the what's the thought process behind all of that? I mean, to your point, it's the government gets to decide this is the time that is that is strategically to our advantage. What, what's happening right now in sort of the, the political pulse of the nation? Well, I think that to, to your point exactly, I think that right now, if you look at the poll, polls, um, even the most, uh, uh, even the best polls for the Conservatives still have them about three points down uh, from, uh, from the Liberals and three points down from where they were uh, in, the, uh, in the last federal election. And so if you're the Liberals, you're sitting there and you're thinking, is it going to get any better for us? Uh, because there are troubling signs within the economy that that things are going to get tougher uh, economically. Look at inflation, especially uh, there's certain groceries uh, uh, that the price has gone up astronomically, as well as uh, as as building materials, uh, the price of lumber. And so I think that uh, uh, you know as inflation goes up, uh, so too could eventually interest rates, regardless of what the Bank of Canada uh, wants to do. And so I think that if I'm the Liberals, if I'm sitting in uh, Justin Trudeau's prime minister's office or his as his campaign manager, I want to uh, get this election out of the way uh, before I think the ramifications economically of COVID uh, uh, kind of come to come to bear. And I guess, you know, there are a lot of people who are enthusiastic about voting liberal and supporting Justin Trudeau. But I, I think there's also that general kind of blah, that sort of ennui when it comes to the conservatives, particularly under Aaron O'Toole right now. I just want to read a, a line from my colleague Lauren Gunter in a recent column of his. He says, currently, uh, 56% of voters say they would consider voting for Trudeau uh, prior to last election. That number was just 50%. Also, last time, 52% uh, of voters thought it was definitely time for change. This is Abacus data numbers. Today, just 40% do. Moreover, only 41% of voters said they'd consider O'Toole. That's down from 48% the last time. Interesting stuff. And then Lauren Gunter goes on to say, well, he's not predicting a Kim Campbell collapse when 
She left the conservatives with, what was it, two or three seats, but more of a, a Michael Ignatieff-style collapse when the conservatives are just left with, you know, two or three dozen seats. What do you make of all of this, the fact that the people even willing to vote conservative, at least if we're believing these polls, say they've, they've stepped down a bit? Yeah, so this is a challenge we have, and I, I really hope that's not the case. I, I uh, have a lot of friends that are going to have uh, their names on ballots, and uh, it's uh, the conservative movement is something that I care very uh, deeply, uh, deeply about, having worked uh, in uh, variations from reform to alliance, the conservative party, for my entire uh, adult life. So uh, I think the issue that conservatives have right now is um, uh, there isn't a lot of excitement for uh, for Aaron. It's ac- actually the uh, the opposite, uh, unfortunately, mm. and and I think that a lot can happen. Like a lot of that has to do, Anthony, with the leadership, his leadership campaign, uh, and his priorities during the leadership campaign. Uh, and then you look at the the priorities he's had since becoming leader. And so I think a lot of conservatives, especially those conservatives at West, feel very betrayed. Um, and uh, I think that uh, you know, at the end of the day, usually the day after the election, we're all looking east. We're all looking to see how Ontario voted, how Quebec voted. Uh, I think this election is going to be very interesting because I think everyone's going to be turning their heads west to see how the Prairies voted, how BC voted, because uh, I think that it's going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting. And a lot of the public polls have the other column marked, um, you know, with seven to ten percent of the vote, and that in Alberta, for example, is probably a mix not just between the PPC but also uh, the Maverick Party, and so. Um, I think it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a challenging campaign for the conservatives, uh, conservatives, conservatives at West. Jenny, you touched upon something interesting there. The idea that uh, the person you are when you run for leader in the leadership race is different than the person you are when you run in the general election. And look, I, I get the strategy thing of your you're sort of catering to, to different groups and different pockets. You know, one's the diehard party member, the other's the general voter, but also like how, how is this still acceptable? I mean, we live in the age where everything's documented social media. I mean, you get people who, who are just doing almost completely different things. Aaron O'Toole was railing against cancel culture, and I'm going to be the guy to knock this down. And having followed him over the years, I thought, well, you know, maybe he kind of has those views, but he's not a guy who typically speaks that way. And then we just had uh, a series of people basically calling to cancel Canada Day and, and mayors all across Canada happy to oblige. And there's something that O'Toole could stand up and just hit it out of the park and say, nope. This is about celebrating our nation, the founding of our nation, celebrating our first people, celebrating everyone. This is the one day we don't knock Canada. He didn't do that. Yeah, and I think this is the issue that he's going to have with uh, with conservative supporters and why you've seen, you know, there's always been this conventional wisdom that, you know, the conservative floor is uh, 30% uh, right. of, uh, of the electorate. And we've seen in most polls uh, over the last couple months, uh, the conservatives being anywhere from 24 to, to 29 um, and, and a few up in 31, 32. And so I think this is the challenge he has with, uh, with, conservative, uh, with conservative voters because they're expecting uh, that. They're, they, they're, they're, they're really expecting it. And I think that uh, in, 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 you know, Stephen Harper ran a leadership campaign and governed uh, that was not that dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Andrew Scheer uh, ran a leadership campaign and his, his leadership style with the Conservative Party was not different from, from his leadership campaign. I think the problem that Aaron has is is that his his persona uh, during the leadership race is nothing like how he's uh, leading the Conservative Party, and I think probably the biggest uh, the biggest issue that he has in terms of policy is is uh, is the carbon tax. He he campaign, campaigned viscerally against a carbon tax, and then has a policy to uh, to bring one in. 
Yeah, I, I hear a lot of analysts want to say, well, the problem is conservatives have to stop being so much, you know, like this, X, Y, Z, and basically, yes, Aaron O'Toole needs to be even more pro-carbon tax and so forth, but I tend to look at it the other way. You've got the Liberal Party, which is basically a Green Party. You've got the NDP, which is basically a Green Party. You've got the Green Party, which is sometimes a Green Party. Maybe we can have a party that just isn't the Green Party, and then maybe that's that's a value-added proposition for why this party is a bit different than the others. And I, I feel like it's kind of reasonable to say, Aaron, why don't you differentiate yourself from all these other parties? Well, conservatives, I agree with you, Anthony. Conservatives don't win when they try to out-liberal the liberals. And so we've seen uh, conservative uh, conservative parties uh, do well on things like taxes and the carbon tax. And I think the carbon tax has become very... Uh, extremely symbolic uh, in a whole host of uh, on a whole host of reasons. But uh, Doug Ford uh, was elected with a massive majority government uh, just over three years ago in Ontario, uh, with his signature policy being against a carbon tax and saying he would not implement the federal government's plan uh, to bring in a carbon tax. And you've seen Scott Moe and Jason Kenney and others uh, blame Higgs that all campaigned on on carbon tax. So I don't. I I think that if there is a view within Aaron's team that they have to kind of put more water in their wine uh, to win the election. I think that the the past um, the past conservative victories, both federally and provincially, would indicate the complete opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like generally conviction politicians prevail, whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Stephen Harper or, you know, there's other people on the left who do well. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a conviction politician. I know he hasn't sort of prevailed and come to victory, but I mean, the people who really have the staying power and, and attract the supporters and so forth are the ones who kind of say what they mean, plant their feet firmly on the ground and stick with it. Yes, 100 percent agreed. People, people, I think that if politicians think that Canadians, uh, that the, the electorate doesn't see authenticity, I think they're uh, they're making a, a big mistake. I think that uh, uh, you know, for to, to not to not go back and pound on it, but in terms of the carbon tax, to say that it's not a it's not a tax would, is wrong. I know that's kind of the conservative uh, talking points on that, but the you know the involuntary collection of money from citizens uh, by the government <laughs> is a tax, regardless of what you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's just something that's the sort of wordplay games. Uh, that they have there. Speaking of authenticity, though, so so we're saying, okay, maybe Aaron O'Toole has a bit of an authenticity problem. What about Justin Trudeau, though? I mean, a lot of people, I, I won't use these words myself, but uh, let's say Selena Cesar Chavan, she has said, Justin Trudeau's a phony. A few other people have humbly suggested that word may apply to him as well. So you've got a guy who, who maybe the authenticity problem applies to him even more than it does Aaron O'Toole. Kind of seems like it's a winner for him right now, though. Yeah, well, no, I agree with you. There's been lots of there's been a, a lot of examples about Justin Trudeau and his authenticity over the years from before getting elected uh, as prime minister from, uh, you know, the uh, reported uh, the reported uh, stories on uh, him, uh, him groping a reporter in BC to to blackface. Right. And then since authenticity, when you see his treatment of uh, Selena, as you mentioned, as well as uh, Judy Wilson, Wilson Raybould. And so um, I think we've seen that uh, for whatever uh, for whatever reason, uh, Canadians uh, Canadians seem to be uh, uh, willing to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of some of that stuff. I, I I think that there will be people right now or people that that are talking to pollsters that may say they're going to support him, but I don't think it's that enthusiastic. Um, mm. And uh, so so we'll see what happens on election day because because campaigns matter. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll see, he's, he, there seems to be a benefit of the doubt that, that, Trude that Trudeau gets that uh, other leaders uh, are not afforded. 
Yeah, well, speaking of that, I, I mean, we often talk about politics as if it's in these rigidly defined, you know, lines and so forth and teams and camps and what have you. And it is for, for many people, but then you go out into the broader world for people who, who vote, but are not particularly in the day to day of the politics. And what do you call them? I guess you call them the persuadables or what have you. I've heard some theories that the number of persuadables is decreasing, I guess, in our polarizing age and so forth. I know you know very well about the, the different regions of Canada where there's swing votes and so forth. And I guess these strike me as just, you know, decent average middle-class Canadians who are just looking at the platforms and, okay, I'll vote liberal one year, conservative the next, maybe toss an NDP in the mix. I mean, what, what, what's going on with those people who I feel like are underrepresented in our, our, our sort of, uh, you know, our, our partisan discourse these days? Yeah, I think most people, I think regardless of partisanship, but I think that most people who would, who, to your point, would, you know, do not consider themselves a member or supporter of any party and they, they vote either, uh, you know, by the, on the leader, on the local candidate, on on certain issues, I think everyone is just looking for some like kind of hope and optimism uh, leading out of the last uh, uh, the last year and a half. I think that mm. COVID has taken a toll on people, um, uh, and even people that were you know more. I, I've I've Anthony been very uh, I, I have uh, I have been very anti lockdown and and what have you in certain government policies almost right from. Um, uh, from the beginning, but I think people that kind of uh, believed in that stuff a year and a half ago have have kind of hit their wits ends, for lack of a better term. And I think that one of the things that Trudeau has really touched on is is that he's really changed his mantra into uh, into hope. People are done mm -hmm. with talking about COVID. They're 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 sick of it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the ramifications. They want their kids to go to school in September, uh, and they want their life to kind of start transitioning back. To normal, and I think that Trudeau picked that up. Like there were two different kind of cult politicians in in uh, in COVID. I think you had the the John Horgans and Jason Kenney's who were more clinical, um, right. you know, who were always suit and tie and what have you. And then you had the heart politicians, the 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 Trudeaus and the and the Fords, and uh, you know, who were were all in this together and all that kind of stuff that you know um, has now even become like radio and TV ads, which you know annoys me to no end but Trudeau started to transition back in March uh, there was no more question period from uh, from the from his house there was no more press conferences from uh, in the spring there was no more press conferences from outside his front door he, he was you know he was in a suit and tie he was uh, in the House of Commons he was doing his his uh, pressers from uh, the National Press Theatre and and I think that he has kind of caught on that he caught on quickly that Canadians are now transitioning into uh, what they uh, that they they don't want to talk about COVID anymore, except that it's in the rearview mirror. Uh, Jenny, you've hit upon something so interesting, I think described better than anyone has described it before. You lump John Horgan and Jason Kenney together in one category as clinical, and then Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau together as the more emotional or what have you. Normally, one would not set those individuals in those sort of uh, <laughs> lines and camps, but I think it's completely accurate. And I have felt for months now that it is to Doug Ford's eternal shame that the only NDP premier in Canada is, is really schooling Doug Ford on what it means to be a believer in small government and sort of, you know, lighter touch in terms of how to micromanage people's lives. Well, what does that mean for the political landscape in Canada, that there are sort of people who were diehard Doug Ford supporters who feel incredibly betrayed by him right now? I'm not sure what people are thinking uh, on the ground, NDP, or, you know, whatever people in BC, provincial activists and so forth, but the lines are, are kind of being a little blurred right now. Well, and this is this is interesting. So we'll see how we'll say how blurred they they remain. Like Horgan, Horgan went from a minority to a majority uh, in the fall. Uh, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, getting reelected. So we'll see if it, it actually it, it actually 
stands. Like with hmm. COVID was so different in terms of how politicians around the world dealt with things. Um, it almost did come down to the personality of the the leader as opposed to uh, uh, as opposed to the political uh, affiliations uh, in terms of the the decision making. And so we'll see if it has any long lasting. Uh, we'll see if it has any long lasting effects. Uh, what what the, the the federal liberals did almost masterfully though is they stayed out of most of the decisions that affected Canadians that affected us day to day. They they weren't they weren't making the right. decision on lockdowns. They gave a lot of advice. Um, what what affected us was was the most was vaccines, and they did drop the ball on that significantly. Totally. Um, you know we've caught up, but they they dropped the ball significantly in terms of uh, procuring vaccines, and and when they started to go in people's arms, uh, but 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 there was very little criticism uh, of them. That's kind of the only thing that people think about in terms of the federal government's uh, the federal government's response, the decisions to keep you know people locked in their homes and schools closed and small businesses uh, shut those were all decisions made by right. provinces so we'll see we will see if if uh, we'll see how when people vote uh, in the upcoming elections whether it's going to whether it's going to be in a lasting effect or whether people are just so happy that it seems to be over now now I've received emails Facebook messages from people I went to high school with university folks who I haven't communicated with for years who got in touch and they're basically like whoa you know I, I thought I was a liberal or I thought I was a left winger but I am, I'm just scandalized by what's happening I guess I'm this thing called libertarian that I've been reading about I'm so frustrated <laughs> but but then Jenny I also saw and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about uh, people who are who are nominally conservative who are basically like yeah cops got to hold everybody down one by one vaccinate them by force and so forth i'm like wow you know that's like i i maybe people can just put all this stuff down and then go back to the way they were before you know sort of the day after this is all over but i i don't know i mean i think there's been some some philosophical ideological psychological stuff that's that that's kind of changed you know to say i'm a liberal voter i'm a conservative voter right now to a pollster in 2021 does it mean the same thing as you would have said you know in the last election no i i agree but it'll depend on if people are going to vote on COVID. so i agree with you i was i was surprised by um some people who were i hate to say i, I don't like to say pro COVID, but we're we're more pro lockdown measures and right. and keep the border shut and what have you as a and and as well as then on the other side the people that are like i don't want to wear a mask and and all of this kind of stuff i like to think i'm i'm closer to the middle, um, right. uh, I mean, you know, maybe leaning one side other than the other, but I'd like to think I'm close to the middle and I'm the same with you. I was shocked at some people that I expected to be one way and, and actually felt uh, the other. I think what will, mat what will, will matter though is whether people are going to vote, uh, if COVID is going to be front of mind when, uh, uh, when people vote. And I'm not sure that it's, uh, I'm not sure that it's actually going to be. I don't think we we saw that in the provincial elections that we had we had last fall when COVID was still more front of mind and, and we didn't know as much what was going on. There was no vaccines and, and what have you. So I, I will, we will see that if politicians will end up paying the price for decisions they made during, uh, during COVID. Jenny, I want to go back to this narrative that is kind of perennial that, oh, the conservatives are done, no one's voting for them, the whole party's in disarray and so forth. And that narrative is creeping up right now when it comes to Aaron O'Toole. And we talk about Justin Trudeau's last victory as if, you know, he totally destroyed the conservatives. But I mean, he didn't. Andrew Scheer and the conservatives got more votes than the liberals did. More people ticked off conservative in Canada in their ballot last time around than did liberal. Just, you know, that doesn't win you uh, government, depending on way, the way the seats distribute and so forth. But, you know, the idea that all is not lost when when that's actually the outcome of, of, of sort of the ballot taking and so forth. What does that tell us? Well, I, listen. As as I said, campaigns matter. I think that Aaron has a lot of uh, 
Um, Aaron has a lot of, uh, you know, good attributes. I think that um, it'll be interesting to watch the debate, for example. Like, Aaron's a very skilled uh, debater, uh, not only in the legislature, but he, he's a former, uh, former lawyer. He's a lawyer as well. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that it's, um, uh, I think that campaigns matter. And so I think that people, conservatives, are going to be expecting a very strong campaign out of the gates um, with Aaron uh, uh, with with Aaron and his uh, team, but I think that uh, we should expect the same from the other parties. You know, the Greens are in a bit of disarray. Like we could we could talk for hours on on their problems uh, um, as well. The NDP right now is polling well. Uh, Singh, uh, from what I have heard, uh, the NDP campaign has more money than what they had uh, the last time. They're doing uh, they're doing well. Uh, and the Liberals, I think they made one fa- they made they made mistakes during the last campaign. But I think their biggest flaw was. They decided to not go uh, negative. It was the kind of the sunny ways Justin Trudeau campaign, and I think that after it was exposed of him wearing blackface, um, he never really kind of got his sea legs back. He never mm. really fully recovered from from that. I think on a personal level, just watching him, he was very right. uh, very shaky. And I think uh, Anthony, the the difference that they are going to make, um, the difference in this campaign, which is not good for the conservatives, I would be shocked if they didn't go negative. Um, I think that they will run a uh, or a contrast campaign. I don't think they'll make the same mistake uh, that they did uh, they did last time because they very easily could have eked out some more victories, especially in Ontario um, and the East, if uh, if they had uh, if they'd run a negative campaign. Now, when you say go negative, do you mean okay, Aaron O'Toole's policies will be bad for you and your family for X, Y, Z, or do they mean you're a racist, you're a this, you're a that, and so forth? And it's always quite something that the the one person who has been found to have worn. Uh, blackface so many times in his 20s that he doesn't remember it is the one making those accusations but for whatever reason some people are are sort of amenable to it being framed that way what are we going to see well and and i think that the 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 photos just from his high school the when he was a teacher at a high school i think he was in his 30s then or at least close to it so it's not just it's not just 20s but uh um i don't think they can go negative as in you know, you're a racist or any of the the culture stuff because there's nothing you can say about Aaron or the conservatives. It's just it would be factually inaccurate. The best the best negative ads are the ones that that have a grain of uh, a grain of truth in them. So I don't think they can I don't think they can go after Aaron on a personal level. He's a you know he's a former uh, seeking navigator. He went to RMC. He's a lawyer. He's a family man. Like there's I don't think there's anything they can go there. So they I guess they can try. They they will probably turn to conservative policies. What they'll focus on. Who knows? I just don't think they're going to. Uh, I just don't think they're going to uh, kind of wear the kid gloves uh, with the conservatives uh, or the NDP for that matter. Uh, this campaign, like they did the last. No, you're so right. The ultimate ad still is is the one that the conservatives did. Michael Ignatieff, he didn't come <laughs> back for you, and and that, and I know. Ignatieff was so upset he wrote a pretty much an entire book about how much he hated that ad and there's been so much discourse about it and so forth but the kernel of truth to it you know does a guy quit being like a senior position at Harvard making lots of money influential in the U.S. scene to just go to Canada and you know be a random backbencher no you know what happened here and I I read the guy's books I I really appreciate a lot of his work I admired him a lot as a writer but you're kind of like yeah you know this ad kind of gets to something here well he left he left back he he left to uh leave Canada uh very shortly after the uh, 2011 campaign. Right. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of telling. <laughs> Tells you all you need to know. Exactly. Uh, Jenny, I, I want to go back to uh, the, the fear-mongering line that I began with. Is Justin Trudeau going to be Prime Minister of Canada forever? I remember, uh-huh. so back in 2019, I said, um, you know, could we, 
could we be in a 1972 situation all over again? So 1968, Trudeau mania, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, kind of new guy on the scene, bam, majority government gets into power and everybody's swooning over the guy. But pretty quickly, they're like, yeah, no, I'm not crazy about this guy. You know, maybe he's a phony or whatnot. He goes to bed that night thinking he's lost, but then in the morning, they kind of retabulate one or two writings. Nope, just squeaked it through. He's in a minority situation. Two years, 1974, runs for re-election, gets a majority mandate, and he's only just getting started. Sticks around for another decade. What are the similarities between then and now? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I get the 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 sense. I, I think that, uh, and all, all is, is speculation, I think that uh, if Trudeau wins... Uh, uh, wins the next election, a majority or minority. Um, uh, you know, he sticks around. Uh, I'm not sure he hasn't. He's he's going to run in another election, and I have zero reason to uh, to, mm. to to know that. Uh, but it's just a feeling. If if especially if he wins a majority in this camp coming upcoming campaign, he's got two majorities. He's got one minority. He's got three you know elections, three elected governments governments. And if he's in a majority, he's actually in a a better position for the party. Uh, to be able to kind of govern for a year and a half to two years and uh, and decide to uh, and decide to uh, uh, step down. I think that in this country, you know, c the parties pretty much get ten years before uh, right. before Canadians see them as long in the tooth. So if uh, if I'm Justin Trudeau uh, and I win another government, especially a, a majority one, I'm going to leave while I'm I'm kind of at the top of my game. And, and who's the person waiting in the wings? It's Christy Freeland, it's Mark Carney, <laughs> it's someone else. I mean, what's going on right now in liberal land? Well, I don't know. You'd have to, what's, I, I can only speculate uh, from, uh, from way afar. Um, uh, but it looks like those are the two, the two names that you mentioned are the, are the front runners. I think that Freeland obviously has her eye on the prize. And I think that uh, Carney does as well. I think him announcing that he's not going to run uh, in this election uh, I wasn't surprised by it. If if uh, if I was him, um, if I were him, I would I want I would want to like run as an outsider. So right. come in and say, if, especially if the economy starts to uh, go a bit go a bit south, he can he can stand on a on a stage beside Christian Freeland in a leaders debate and say, I wasn't there. I wasn't sitting around the ca cabinet table right, right, where right, the country right. is now is not me, had nothing to do with me. And so I think if I'm him, I would rather kind of do that, make some money. Um, uh, make some money, uh, like outside of uh, politics, and uh, uh, and just run in the uh, leadership race instead of you know sitting as you know the industry minister or the environment minister for two years before uh, before Trudeau decides to uh, uh, to resign. Well, and let's be honest, Christy Freeland, she didn't come back for you. Mark Carney, he didn't come back for you. I mean, when I found out she was had a top job in journalism at Reuters in Manhattan. Again, she was, you know, doing the Davos forums and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, what? And you're running to be a, like a backbencher for the Liberal Party back in Canada? No, that's not actually what's going on here. So we got both of them who are both these sort of, you know, high performing individuals and so forth. Um, but also maybe we see what the motive is going on here. And it's a similar situation to the Ignatieff, is it not? Well, it, and, and, but she's been plugging it out. She was elected in... Well, what year was she elected? She was elected in a by-election um, after uh, after Ray uh, resigned. Like, right, fair enough. She's been slugging. She's been slugging it out um, uh, uh, somewhat. It would be it would be much different. That that's something right. her team could kind of argue with Carney. Like she's at least been she sat in opposition, um, uh, and she's been a cabinet minister for you know two terms now. 
Yeah, no, good point indeed. I, I want to go back to what happened around 2004, 2006, when Stephen Harper came to power. Because here I am saying, oh, is Justin Trudeau going to be prime minister forever? And then, well, maybe we'll see him actually lose this coming election. Similar thing back in 2004. I think it was Susan Delacour who came up with the phrase juggernaut to describe yes. Paul Martin. So <laughs> Paul Martin Sr. Uh, always wanted to be prime minister. Never really happened. His son goes, Paul Martin Jr. I'm going to be PM. And there's this power struggle between Paul Martin and Jean Chrétien. Jean Chrétien didn't know when to give it up. They finally said, come on, man, you got to step down. He stepped down. Paul Martin runs to be re, runs to be confirmed as prime minister in 2004. And we're told this is a juggernaut campaign. He is going to have a super majority. He's just going to dominate Canadian politics. He's going to stay prime minister practically for life. Oops. Minority government holds on to it for, what, 18 months? I can't really tell you too much about what he accomplished then. And then... <laughs> Stephen Harper comes to power. What what happened then, and why was the narrative and the prevailing wisdom basically 180 from reality? Well, I think that you had, uh, I think, well, you had you had uh, Martin's own people, uh, you know, telling the media that they were going to win the biggest majority in uh, in Canadian history, <laughs> uh, which did not uh, which did not help for issues uh, issues expectations. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and, and things did ch change. The Liberals had been in power by the time he took over for, for 10 years. Um, so they they were kind of a long in the tooth, uh, government, uh, government then. And the, ch and the Conservative Party, or the, the Progressive Conservative Party and the Canadian Alliance merged. So you had that, um, so you had that dynamic as, uh, as well. The 2004 campaign, um, was, uh, was a fun one for me. I was the Ontario desk for the Conservative Party and we went from two to 24 seats. So it was, uh, it was a uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, and then by 2006, they had now been a government in power for 13 years, and um, you had a you know a pretty well-oiled machine in uh, in us. Stephen Harper uh, had a had a good focus in terms of uh, making sure that that he was not just uh, holding the government to account in the uh, uh, in the House of Commons, but also building a a party that was going to be able to uh, to challenge a govern a, a challenge a you know, a very long-term, uh, seasoned uh, liberal government. You, so, um, I, I think that uh, I think that that um, uh, those those th that that those were a lot of uh, a lot of factors. I, I'm not sure I see similarities, unfortunately, for Aaron that we had in 2004, the 2006 campaigns. But I know there was a lot of commentary at the time that Stephen Harper is, was not a brand name. He wasn't any sort of celebrity figure. He was very lacking in charisma. And those are similar things that was said about Andrew Scheer previously. Um, they're being said by some people about Aaron O'Toole right now. Where are the similarities and dissimilarities then with, with, with those sort of uh, analyses? Well, I think you're always going to have certain members of the media that have those similarities that, that you know, conservative leaders don't have the, the right. charisma, don't have the gravitas. No one's going to be able to... perpetual narrative. Oh yeah, and 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 you're not going to be able to like win the charisma battle with uh, Justin Trudeau, regardless of who you are. It's just, you know, it it is what it is. Um, and uh, uh, I think the dissimilarities, um, the dissimilarities are is that that um, well, for lack of a better term, it, it, you know, Aaron isn't Stephen Harper, and so um, I think for for a whole host of reasons. But I think that that you know, Stephen Harper. We had a very strong uh, party, a very strong apparatus, and I think that, uh, and a strong gr ground organization. And I think that part of the challenge that Aaron is going to have during this campaign is that uh, because people feel somewhat disappointed because of uh, some of the 
um, the policy stances he took during the leadership race versus how he's governed. Um, it's it's hard on a good, good day to get volunteers and uh, and what have you out and about, uh, 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 you know, to go door knocking and make phone calls. I think that it's going to be a challenge for some candidates um, based on uh, based on that. Yeah, I mean, what is the energy level right now among the conservative base and among the donors and, and the people who really uh, do that sort of, you know, slugging it out, knocking on the doors and so forth? Um, well, I think there's some candidates uh, that have great teams going. I know my friend Melissa Lanceman, who's running in Thornhill to replace uh, Peter Kent. She's got a fantastic team out, and uh, um, I, you know, they're they're knocking on uh, on doors. I think there's other conservatives that are a little bit less anxious to get uh, uh, to to uh, uh, to get involved. But I think the mood uh, very much is. You know, conservatives. Conservatives will be. There's there's still a, a level of optimism among conservatives that um, they want. You know, they're looking forward to this campaign. Uh, they're ex they're excited because uh, they do want to replace uh, uh, Justin Trudeau. And so I think that although people are upset uh, regarding uh, regarding certain policy stances, there's still a high level of expectation that Aaron's going to do. Uh, uh, well in this campaign. In terms of fundraising, I guess we'll see. The, the, the Q2 numbers, the, the, the second quarter numbers, aren't out yet. I know they were released provincially yesterday or the day before um, here in Ontario, but uh, I guess we'll see kind of what the last, the, the, the second quarter brings uh, when they're out. They should be out. Um, they should be out soon. When it comes to things switching around, unexpected changes, I'll never forget back in 2015, what happened with the NDP and my pal Tom Mulcair. It was so fascinating to see that during the summer there in that campaign, it looked like Tom Mulcair was going to become prime minister with a majority. First NDP government in Canadian history, building upon those successes that Jack Layton brought them in 2011. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of, well, you know, I don't know, two weeks or so, I know you were watching these numbers day by day, switches around and you see Justin Trudeau surge. And I, I remember writing pieces where I said, when it became clear Stephen Harper was no longer going to be, likely wouldn't be prime minister anymore. And I was saying, you know, Tom O'Care is actually, you know, not a bad choice in terms of, you know, fiscal sanity and so forth. I'm not sure if you want this Trudeau as prime minister. And people thought it was like some conspiracy theory that I want to split the votes. And I was like, no, I think this might be a smarter choice uh, than Justin Trudeau, but it was not to be. And uh, Mulcair went from hero to zero really quickly. But then at the same time, just a few months before, there were polls that said his name recognition was pretty much zero. So it, it's just something these days, how fast things change. A hundred percent. Things can, things can, uh, things can change on a, uh, things can change on a dime. And, uh, you know, Mulcair's numbers uh, and his, uh, the polling went down for them in Quebec uh, first, uh, pretty much the last week of September. And I think that other Canadians looked then that if they weren't, if the NDP, if the if the if the party that uh, that built Jack that Jack built in Quebec uh, was not going to be sustainable, then they wouldn't be a sustainable government. And I think that that hurt them. Uh, that hurt them as well. I'll be honest with you, though, Anthony. I never thought for a minute that uh, the NDP was ever our uh, our opponent in uh, in the 2015 campaign. I knew it was all going to be the Liberals. I, I do think, though, if I can put forward a couple alternate universe theories, if, if Tom Mulcair, because he's traditionally a liberal, he was a Quebec liberal cabinet minister, if he in that by-election had not run as an NDP MP, but as a liberal MP, things would look very different now. You know, who did run for leader in the liberals in 2011? If Jack Layton had unfortunately not, uh, you know, d died before his time, politics would look very different in Canada right now. I mean, just very simple, you know, who's on the scene, who isn't, and so forth, I, I think plays, pl plays a huge role. 
lots of hypotheticals there. I don't I wouldn't even know where to start in terms of commenting on that. I, I'll be honest, I try not to talk hypotheticals. Right. No, 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 fair enough. It's just uh, looking at all the puzzle pieces and you go how, how things just could have absolutely been so different there. When people, you know, are asking you make the prediction right now, where are you leaning? If we can talk hypotheticals. Yeah, like so I don't, I don't like, I, 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 <laughs> I don't usually uh, like to talk hypotheticals and I, n I never give C projections. Uh, uh, but uh, I would say right now, if, uh, if the polls are correct, um, uh, I think the liberals are at least going to get their, uh, I think they're going to get their minority back. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I am, uh, I am going to keep my fingers crossed that the conservatives uh, run a campaign that I know that, you know, Aaron ran a, a very good leadership campaign. Let's take policy aside in terms of the ground operations. My my friend Fred Delory ran a very good leadership campaign in terms of, you know, identifying votes, selling memberships, identifying uh, uh, our members, and then getting them out to vote. And it could not have been easy uh, during uh, during the height of a uh, height of COVID. So, um, my expectation is Aaron through the debate and uh, and the campaign that they're going to run uh, is that they are going to uh, they are going to defy some expectations and uh, um, and do better than what uh, some of the polls are saying. Jenny, before, that, is, that is my hope. Before we go, broadly speaking, I know so many Canadians are complaining about the, the toxicity in politics, the tone, everything is at this sort of Twitter level of got you. And if I can find a way to sort of reassemble your sentence and your words to make it look like it's a this or a that, so I can call you this name or that name and so forth, I will. And that's increasingly what it's about. So many people say they're tuning out of that, but I also feel at the same time, so many people really relish in that and they love it and they, they love the mudslinging and more and more people have actually gotten in the game and so forth. It is, it is just such a mess, the sort of general nastiness of it. I'm a guy who just loves public policy and, you know, fighting out those <laughs> details and, and, and so forth. And, you know, one can be very passionate when one has those discussions and so on. But where are we heading right now in Canadian politics about how we even discuss politics, uh, how our elections are fought and so on? Well, I actually think things haven't changed that much. I just think mm. because of social media, we just see it more. I think that right. it's already it's always had the level of discourse, d discourse but it's just more people are participating in it through Twitter or um, uh, Instagram or, you know, the TikTok, which I'm not on, but uh, uh, I hear about uh, from my young cousins. Um, so I think it's, it's always been there. I think it's just more, it's become more mainstream in terms that more people are engaged on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not, it's not like when, you know, I was younger and it would literally be, you know, you, you watch the 10 or 11 o'clock news and that's how you're, you're, you know, you're getting your news. Right. Like I remember when I was first involved in politics that, you know, I'd get up on Saturday mornings and the first thing you do is you'd get, you'd gather all your change to go out to the different boxes and pick up all the papers. And that's how you got your, your, it wasn't like you woke up and checked Twitter uh, uh, for for the news, so I think it's always been there. I just think that it's more prominent now because more people are are involved, or more people see it on a regular basis. Jenny Byrne, CEO of Jenny Byrne and Associates, thanks so much for joining us for this great conversation. Thanks today. for having me. Thank you. All the best. Full Common is a post media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.